Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. While they are coming down front, if you want to open up your Bible that you brought with you to Luke chapter 9, or if you forgot yours, or if you're using a Bible app, either one, uh, there's a pew Bible in front of you as well. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36 is where we'll be reading this morning. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. And just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we hear your word read and proclaimed... As we leave our petitions at your altar, as we sing your praises and hear your heavenly voices echo in this chamber, may we know of the presence of your Spirit. May we know that we are standing on holy ground and that you are speaking. Speak, O Lord for your servants are listening. But as we hear your words, may they change our lives so that we would leave this mountaintop. Not as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. In 1973, Dale Irby was a PE teacher in Dallas, Texas. First church, his first school, his first time as a teacher, and he was excited, and it was picture day. So he went to his closet, and he got his best outfit. A white polyester shirt with some kind of a print on it and a wide collar and a brown sweater vest. And he had his picture made. He looked great. 
1974. It was his second year as a teacher. It was picture day, and he went to his closet, and he got his best outfit, his favorite outfit. He put on a brown sweater vest, a white polyester shirt with a little bit of a pattern, and a wide collar. I mean, when you feel pretty, you put on what makes you feel pretty, right? He had forgotten he'd worn the outfit the year before, and when his wife noticed it when the yearbook came out, she dared him and she said, I dare you to do it a third year in a row. Now, you know, they're a young couple in love. He's a young PE teacher. What's he got to lose? So sure enough, in 1975, the same outfit. And then for 37 years afterwards, he wore the same outfit for his picture. Proving to you once again that things that were made in the 70s were meant to last, including that almond-colored fridge that's now in your basement. Still running, right? All the other fridges that you bought since then have died after five years, but not that one. But when he retired, they pulled all 40 of his pictures together. A 40-year career wearing the same outfit for picture day. And they lined them up from the beginning all the way to the end. As he looked at those images, he saw a transformation in Dale Irby's life where he went from not wearing glasses to wearing glasses, where he went from a robust head of hair to a color that wasn't his to begin with, and now no hair at all. Mustaches come and go, the predominant one of which was that Magnum P.I. one that sort of occupied the 80s. A transformation. He saw it his whole life sort of laid out there in that one collage of pictures. See, transformation, the definition of it is a change in appearance and form throughout time. Well, Dale Irby saw that. But see, we know that transitions and tra- I mean, transformations don't just happen with our bodies, with the physical appearance. It also happens internally. It can be about our demeanor, our maturity. That's the joy of scouting. So many of our scouts, they start off as just scouts. But as they work through the ranks, as they go from scout to tenderfoot to second class to first class to star to life and ultimately to eagle, where our own Bailey Cottle will get and receive that award, that rank tomorrow night, we see that it is more than just badges, more than just time that these scouts do. No, there's maturity, there's leadership. There's confidence that bubbles up. If they were to take snapshots of their scouting career, they would be different. Not just in outward appearance, but also in inward fortitude. See, that's the goodness of scouting. That's the goodness of a transformation. But as we look at today's text, we realize that this is Transfiguration Sunday. It's the end of the epiphany season that season following the 12 days of Christmas, that season we're reminded of the manifestation, or if you will, the epiphany of God's glory in Christ. And so this day is a line of demarcation between epiphany and the Lenten season. 
We go from realizing that Jesus is the Son of God to realizing the depth of his journey to Bethlehem. I mean, not to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem. To die for our sins. So in the text today, Jesus takes three of the disciples up to a mountaintop to pray. And this was eight days after he had been sort of quizzing the 12. He quizzed them, if, you, if we looked back earlier in chapter 9, he said, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples in rapid fire answers said, well, you know, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're a prophet. And then he hits them right between the eyes with that question, who do you say that I am? You remember what happens, Right? Who do you say that I am? And they're all of a sudden, they're really quiet. And finally, Peter blurts out, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. It foretells what's about to happen. And Jesus tells them to hold that to themselves. So in our text today, they go to the mountaintop, Jesus and three of the twelve. He goes there to pray, and while he's there, his clothes become dazzling white. It says his face changes appearance, and all of a sudden they're surrounded by Moses and Elijah. And he has this, Jesus has this conversation with Moses and Elijah about what is to happen in Jerusalem, about how he is, his departure is coming, the fulfillment of his calling. And if that wasn't enough, just before this episode ends, The glory of the Lord hovers over them in the cloud and God speaks. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. That, my friends, is a transfiguration. See, a transfiguration is similar to a transformation, but it's really a transformation on steroids, if you will. It's so much better. Because the transfiguration is a complete change of form or appearance into something more beautiful and or more spiritual. You get that? A transformation is just a change over time, but a transfiguration is more beautiful, more spiritual. This is a mountaintop moment, to use the cliche in the literal form, with teeth. I mean, it's got great significance for us as followers of the risen Christ. Because when we understand what happens on this Mount of Transfiguration, it's paramount to our faith. Because in this, we begin to understand who Jesus really is. The Transfiguration tells us why Jesus is even here on earth. And then it tells us what we're supposed to do with this knowledge, with this understanding of the transfiguration. So it starts with this idea of who Jesus is. And what comes to mind is, first of all, as I read this text, this is my son, my chosen. I think of sports parents. Now just bear with me on this. I mean, sports parents, you know, they're so proud of their kids on the ball field. They're the ones that cheer for their kid. My, my friend Sherry, when her daughter, when Sherry was swimming, Everyone knew when Sherry was in the pool because her mother made sure everyone knew about it. You know those parents, right? The nine o'clock service, a couple of our youth were there and they looked over at their parent like, yes, you're that soccer dad. A few years ago, we went to a minor league baseball game down in Kannapolis to see the Kannapolis Intimidators, the low A team for the Chicago White Sox. 
And we sat in a section that, well, let's just say that over here to our right were all the players' girlfriends. That's an education in its own right. We'll leave that one alone. That's a whole nother sermon. But as, as the game is about to begin, as they, they've, we've sung the national anthem and everyone's getting settled in, the umpires have hollered play ball, right in front of us comes this couple and they have bought everything from the, from the souvenir stand that's got Canapolis Intimidators on it. I mean, they've gone in there and they've got one of each. I kid you not. And as they sit down, I look at the back of his hat and stitched on the back of it is a number and a name and what year he was drafted and what order he was drafted in by the White Sox. And the dad sits there and as the pitcher starts to work the ball in his hands, he goes, come on, Jeffrey, you got this now, you got this. And I realized, oh my goodness, Jeffrey's on the back of the hat, Jeffrey's on the mound, guess who's in front of me? Jeffrey's dad. Now, Jeffrey has just been called up from rookie ball in the great, in, in, uh, the, in Montana somewhere, in Great Falls, Montana, and he's here. And every time Jeffrey winds up to pitch, his dad talks to him, coaches him through it to the point that the coaches in the dugout almost, they, well, they, they shot a glaring look. Dad didn't pick up on it, but I wanted to go, hey, Pop, shh. But as every time Jeffrey would come in the dugout, he would try to look around like there was someone else's parents that this guy was connected to. No. His dad was so proud of him. There was no doubt to any of us in the ballpark that afternoon who Jeffrey's dad was. And there was no doubt whose kid, whose kid was on the mound. See, in this text today, God does the same thing. God leaves no doubt about it when he says, this is my son, my chosen. There is no doubt now for all the world. It is out there for every one of us to see it. That Jesus is the son of God. There's no doubt about it. If we were unsure, even with all the miracles, turning water into wine, feeding 5,000, all the healing of people, if we were ever doubting that Jesus had special powers, that he had God powers. We now know from the Mount of Transfiguration, he is the son of God. God's telling all the world. Because we go forth with that, we know now who Jesus is. We have to figure out why he's here. So in the Bible, we know that some of the images that's used, some of the metaphors used are shepherds. Shepherds and sheep, because listen, they were all around. Everyone saw them. Much like we see cars nowadays. Shepherds and sheep, that was just part of the landscape. Shepherds were common, humble, lowly people. They spent all their time out in the fields. They really kind of were gruff and they didn't smell good and they were sort of rough, but they had an important job. See, the sheep that they watched, they needed guiding. They were easily lost. And when they got lost, one of the shepherds would have to go find them. The sheep were vulnerable, so the shepherds had to protect them. So it's really, you know, not a surprising idea that Jesus would use that metaphor in John when we use the I am statements. He would say, I am the good shepherd. So in this text, we begin to realize as Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah, 
really the depth of what this idea of the good shepherd means. Talks about him going to Jerusalem and how he's going to depart. Sort of telling the foreshadowing to the disciples, but even to us, what is to come. See, the good shepherd is about to lay down his life to protect us, a flock of people, in the agony of unredeemed sin. And so as the transfiguration happens, as the sun is changed right before our eyes in the most beautiful, most spiritual form of God that we have seen, we realize that he is aligned with God's hope for the world, hope for you and for me. And so now we know who and why, but what do we do with it? Organizational psychologists and leadership coaches and sports coaches will tell you that a team will not reach its full potential unless it is worked together, unless it is bound up in some collective mission and purpose. And so a sense for an organization or a team to reach its potential, it's got to be transformed from individuals, but coalesced into that one unit. But see, in verse 35, God does that for James and Peter and John and even for us. He coalesces us into one, but he tells us more than just why Jesus is here, but tells us what we're supposed to do with it. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Friends, it doesn't get more simple than that. We now know who he is. We know why he has been sent to us. But now we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to listen to him. We can be transfigured, turned into something more wonderful, more spiritual. If we will do just that, listen to God, listen to Jesus. But this idea of listening is not just letting the words come into our ears, but letting them be lived out through our lives. We're not hearing Jesus. We're listening to Jesus. We're taking them in and making his words a part of who we are. We truly recognize in the depth of our soul that Christ is a good shepherd, that he is God's son come to save us. Then we are challenged to be in a higher state of discipleship, a higher state of following. To take that phrase, love thy neighbor or love your neighbor as yourself and begin to realize that we need to be concerned about the plight of all the world around us. Those that are hungry, those that have poor health, those that struggle for warmth, those that struggle with success. We need to be concerned about that to lift it up. Do we need to be concerned about our friends and our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine as they battle with war and fighting within their own land? But it's about loving our neighbors. We also need to see the barriers that hold each other back. Inequities, our history, the shackles that seem to keep us from reaching full potential as children of God. And we need to work on building deeper relationships with each other. To see each other as children of God, pure and simple. To look in each other's eye and see God in each other. And when we do that, when we celebrate each other, when we celebrate our humanity, we celebrate our relationships with each other, then we are being transfigured. But it's more than just that. It's also loving God, having a deeper relationship, one formed in prayer, one forged in study of Scripture. You know, one of the things that I hope by us talking about 
you know, putting the scriptures out of the bulletin and back in the Bible and reading them is that you'll take your Bible off the shelf, that you'll bring it to church. I mean, think about this. Methodists bringing Bibles to church, they'll have the Baptists up the street scared, but I'm okay with that. Or maybe if you're one of those really tech-savvy people and you can, if you don't want to do the Bible in the book, but you want to do it on your phone, that's okay. Just get into the Word. Just open it up. If you don't have a Bible, come see me. We will get you one. Because this is the roadmap for life. To learn how much God loves each of us. Because we think about this idea of being transformed not only in the word and in prayer, but also in groups and relationships. What if we really delved into it? See the bulletin there, an advertisement once again, reminding folks about first 15 to spend 15 minutes of the day or they were starting connection groups, groups of people coming together to ask the question in a sense, how is it with our souls to grow together? Don't be scared. Because we just want to grow closer to each other and closer in our relationship with God. None of us has all the answers. That's the joy of the journey of faith. Do we live with an attitude of gratitude, looking at all the blessings around us and to returning thanks? Do we sit, do we look at creation and realize with a sense of all what God has done for us? Do we use our lives to change the world, to transform the world around us one day at a time? See, we're focused on those things, loving God with the fullness of our heart and loving our neighbors ourselves, listening to him then the transfiguration happens in here, right alongside the transformation. We are changed, but we're being changed into the most beautiful forms of ourselves, the most spiritual forms of humanity that God wants. So we're about to enter the season of Lent. Remember, this is that line of demarcation. It begins with Ash Wednesday. And for 40 days, we focus on our relationship with God. What if we took a picture of our lives? What if you could capture that image of your life, both outwardly, but also inwardly, that relationship? What if you took that picture every day for 40 days? What would the collage show at the end of it all? How would it show the transformation of your life? But better yet, what if we focused on our relationship? Would we see a transfiguration of our lives? We realized who Jesus is, why he is important to us, how much he loves us. And if we listen to him, my guess is 40 snapshots side by side, we can see the change. And we will be better transfigured because of it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings.